Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share something with you that has been on my mind since last week. And it's in Psalm number 16. And as we read this psalm, I want you to note that the the end of the passage that I'm going to talk about is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And he refers these verses here in Psalm 16 directly to the resurrection of Jesus. And that that is... Um, Important. This psalm is in fact a prophecy that David made. He made it a thousand years before Jesus came. And it is a prophecy of Jesus rising from the dead. But that reality gives light upon what we're looking at in one of these verses. That even though this is written a thousand BC, yet... It it comes to us today in the power of the resurrection. It is part of our life in Christ today. And so let me read um, a portion of this. Let's read from verse 7 to get a context here. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand i will not be shaken therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also will dwell securely okay it's it's that verse that has been in my heart until I've got to talk about it. In verse 8, I've set the Lord continually before me. I've set the Lord continually before me. David is describing his lifestyle. And as I say, because this is quoted into the New Testament, it becomes part of the glory and the wonder of our living in Christ. And so what does it really mean? I have set the Lord before me. Now, the word before me, the the actual, I mean, if I'm going to translate that word from the Hebrew language into English, before me is a fair translation. But what I want to do is get inside the head of the Hebrew people at the time when David wrote this. Get inside David said, what did they mean when they said before me? Did it just simply mean in front of me? Yes and no, because it meant that and oh, so much more. This word in the original language, if I were to give you a one-line definition, it means 
placing a matter or a subject or a person high and conspicuously set before you. You get that? It is placing a matter, a subject, a person high, lifted up, and lifted up to become conspicuous. That is in your face, unavoidable. You can't miss this. It's right there. It's before you in the greatest sense of this word. The the best way I could illustrate this is, um, at least it might uh, be understood by some of you, uh, when I first landed in the United States, um, I lived for a short while in Seattle, and we walked out of the back door, and there, and I mean before us, filling the sky, filling our vision, was Mount Rainier, you could not talk about anything that was around you without having to include Mount Rainier. It towered above us, and its white peaks were ever part of the skyline. You couldn't miss it. Um, and some of you are listening in other parts of the world. Um, I remember the first time I saw Mount Kilimanjaro, and it's the same thing. You you just can't avoid wherever you are looking. There it stands, etched against the sky, filling all your vision. Or if you're down there in Nepal or around that region, then Mount Everest, you see, or up in Alaska, you, you've seen Mount McKinley. Uh, all of it, they, they, they take your breath away. That would be another way of describing this. It fills your vision. It's lifted high. It is so conspicuous. You cannot talk about anything without including that. And it takes your breath away. Another word that we, we would use, and it, it's a biblical word, uh, would be awe or awesome. But that's an unfortunate word because um, we, the, the English language has been so diluted, adulterated. Um, I, I went to the bank the other day. And you know how they're, they're trained to try and be nice. <laughs> and, and as I went and I, they, they said, what, what are you here for? And I, and I said, to make a deposit. And she said, that's awesome. It's a stupid thing to say. Well, the only way you could use awesome is to stand before the, these uh, wonders of the world. Uh, that, that, it, it, awesome means it takes my breath away. It leaves me with my mouth open in wonder, in awe, you see. That, that's, that's the idea. And, and so other words to describe before me, that, that God in his glory, you see, that, that's awesome. The glory of God, the outradiance of this God who is love. Do, do you understand that takes my breath away? That, that leaves me paralyzed in my mind. My mental faculties can't take this in. That he is love. That God, you see, when most people say God, they mean absolute power. And I'm sure 50% mean the judge that's going to meet us. But the Bible reveals to us a God who takes your breath away because he is 
true. He is the final definition of awesome. Can I, can I take it in that the God who indeed is all power, the God who indeed knows all things, the God who is the creator, yes, all of that, but he is love, which means he is the origin of kindness. He is kind. He is it. Kind. He can be no other. He's, he's good. God is good. Or he is gentle. Can, can I understand this? Especially some who have these other monstrous ideas of God. We stand before him and he fills our horizon. And, and filling it because we've never seen a God like this before. In another psalm, the psalm is said, Who is like you among the gods? That is, all these nations around us, they have their silly little gods that you can buy for 10 cents in the marketplace. Or, or you, if you're good with a knife, you can chisel and, and make your own god. And, and then, then you give to that God sort of uh, the, the projection of yourself. What would you do if you were God? Well, then we worship that. And, and you silly little gods, he said, who is like you? He said, you, the uncreated creator, you, who, you're not a projection of me because I could never, I could never think of a God like this. A God who is compassionate, a God who weeps with me and laughs with me, a God who puts his arm around me in gentle. God, his love, his glory. I, I, I find my, my whole spirit looking up and saying this God is high and lifted up. And, and so other words we would use would be beauty, the, the breathtaking beauty of God. There's nothing ugly about him. There's nothing about him that, that disturbs my spirit. Rather just to look at this God and realize this is who he is. Everything fits together. Everything resonates within me as right, balance. This, this God who is, is love, who indeed is power, who indeed achieves his end. The God who has revealed himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit, who in their triune purpose, they've achieved our salvation. And I look at this God who is love, not as a love that says, I wish I could help you, but a God who has done it. A love that actually became one of us. A love that 100% as us, for us, in place of us, has overcome the darkness and the powers of Satan, the God who became human, that he might take our place all the way to death to bring an end to all that is rising up in rebellion against the true God. A God who in our body, in our humanity, rose out of death and carries us with him into his very heart. I, I, I sit here week after week and in all the other places I talk in between time and 
I always end up inside of me saying, next time I'll be able to get it right. Next time I'll be able to say it because I find a certain speechlessness before God who is great. There's another word. Who is awesome. This is where the expression in the Old Testament comes from, the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're scared of him. It means he takes your breath away. It means I don't have a place inside my brain. I don't have a folder to put such a God. This is God. We sing about it. How great thou art. That's a commentary on this. It means he's before me. Uh, And before me he is, he is greatness. He is glory. He is love. He is beauty. He is majesty. That's another word. Majesty. The majesty of God that includes all of the above. And our only response to that can be praise and worship. And that, that's, that's the only appropriate. And in so doing, we make him conspicuous. Or, or another word in the Bible is you magnify the Lord. That, that is in your words and in your going forth of your spirit. You say, do, do you know how great he is? Let me magnify him. Let me, let me praise the details of his person. Let, let me describe the glory of this one. That's what it means. He's before me. But before me in his greatness. But just a minute means more than that you see like i said we get inside the hebrew mind what because sometimes they translate this same word as the revelation you know what i mean by that that that's when god draws back the curtains and god shows us something that our brains could never fully grasp and and i get it with my heart i receive a revelation i I get a seeing of God and then my heart informs my brain and my brain catches up about two months later. Um, It's a revelation, something previously unknown, but now to be boldly declared. And so the prophets of the Old Testament, the Isaiah, the Jeremiah and so on, the, the prophets would describe what they were saying as setting it before the people. It's a revelation which of course fits in with what I've just been saying that we could never know this God unless God revealed himself to us. Do you understand that? I could never come up with it. I could... If you leave any human being to themselves and say, what do you think God is like? Well, you're going to come up with essentially what you think the ideal human would be. You end up with a sort of Superman ideal image. That, and, and so the gods of the, the various parts of the world and parts of history, Mars, god of war, you see, and then Venus, god of sex and lust, and it's a projection of the human to the nth degree. Um, 
the, the common one these days, which we've said too often, is, is I, I project judge that is, we, we've exalted the, the human court system and we've projected it onto God. That God must be something like our Supreme Court. Uh, God must be the one who hands out punishments. It's a projection of, of our human. But when the real God would be known he has to reveal himself i can never i can never come at it with my brain and put two and two together and make four i put two and two together and make nothing god reveals himself and he revealed himself in jesus finally fully um the the revelation of god and i i I look to this revelation I, i i've never known this I, I can't compare this to any other, which is another biblical text. Who, who should we compare you to? No, you can't. God stands by himself, which mean, is the meaning of holy. He, he is, is other than anything or any person we've ever known. But it also could mean, this word, a revelation that was made some time ago. A covenant revelation, that is God's head, because he's in covenant with us, this and this and this I will do, this and this and this I am to you. There it stands, well, he says, it's part of the mountain, it's part of this revelation, keep it there, up to date. It's, It's true today, so declare it, speak of it. Make it known. You you remember the Psalms, and I could keep on quoting, you know, where this idea comes into so many places. But you remember Psalm 92, where he said, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name. And we, since Jesus came, have come to know that the name of God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So he said, sing praises to the God who has revealed himself as love, as Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the Most High. There's this word, you see, he's he's before us. He's the Most High, he's beyond your thoughts. So he said, it's good to give thanks, to give thanks to the name Most High, to declare, and that is this same word, before It's to declare thy loving kindness, your covenant love in the morning, your faithfulness at night. This this is what it is. Um, He fills our vision. Our only response can be in giving praise and thanks to him as he fills every nook and cranny of our life. The highest place. Which means he is the final authority. Or to put it another way, he is the final permission. The fact that God is the way he is gives us permission to believe him, to rest in him. Gives us permission to know that this is the meaning of life. This is the foundation of all creation. The love. Therefore, in just in beholding him and giving thanks to him, we are given permission to live lives of love and power. So he is. 
And I say, let me let me say this strongly. I, I've used the word conspicuous. Uh, I mean that, that in your face. <clears throat> this is not a secret. You can't be a secret believer. Not ultimately. <clears throat> I know some of you are listening to me tonight in countries where you're persecuted for your faith. And in that sense, you don't go running up and down the street announcing you're a Christian. But when I say you can't keep it a secret, it comes into your life. It comes into your speech and you begin in the light of that vision, that seeing of who God really is in the face of Jesus that comes into our life, and our life quietly declares who we are and the one we worship. It's not a footnote. That's not a footnote to life when we say that God is love. It isn't. Um, and we've been told by government figures in recent months here in the U.S. that, that you, you can only believe what you believe inside your church. But when you get outside your church, you leave your beliefs behind. You can't practice it. You can't put it into action. Well, I suppose that's the beginning of persecution here. Because you cannot look upon this God who has come to us in Jesus and revealed his heart toward us and revealed who he is and what he's done in order to bring us into himself. You can't see that and not have a change of behavior and a change of action. You cannot see the grace of God, the ever-giving and giving and giving of God. And that giving coming into me, I cannot receive that grace without my behavior becoming aligned to Him. It's not a secret. Which, you could say, is the final meaning of this word. Because if he is before me, I'm going to be changed. Um, put it this way, if, if I am facing the sun, I am going to be bathed in the sunlight. And being bathed in the sunlight, it will actually uh, tan my skin. When Moses came into the presence or the before him of the Old Testament, the glory of God passed by him, you remember? And when he came down the mountain, his face shone with a glory. And it was a fading glory. Uh, And in New Testament, it says that now we've seen the ultimate glory, the final glory of God in Jesus. And that glory dwells within us. And there is, there really is a certain shining in our life, a shining in our words, the way we talk, the way we look, the way we act. This word before, before him, then could mean corresponding to. Um, I tell you, the very first time this word is used in the Bible is in Genesis in chapter 2, where it says that the Lord uh, made Eve out of the rib of Adam, and she was to be his, and our old translations, which most people know on this one, uh, she was to be a helpmeet. It's this word. 
<laughs> okay? This word that we're looking at, that's the word there. She was placed before him, which means not only in her beauty and the awesome reality of another human, another one made in the image of God, but also it meant counterpart. That is, they fitted each other like hand and glove. That they, they, they were meant for each other, to, to support each other, and all the weaknesses of the one filled by the strength of the other, and so on. And together indwelt by God. Counterpart. And that, David really got that. If you go through the Psalms of David, um, he, he speaks so much of the God who corresponds to him, who is the counterpart. He saw his identity here, that the Lord was before him, but before him not as a picture on the wall, not as something that was dead doctrine, but as the living God who actually communicated himself to David, and a zillion times more to us in the New Covenant, the union. So he would say, the Lord is my. Do you remember that? So when he needed strength to face life, he says, the Lord is my strength. And when he felt attacked by persons on all sides, he says, the Lord is my shield. And when he felt in utter despair and hopelessness in the natural look at things, he says, you are, the Lord is, the lifter of my head. You are my glory. You, uh, it's all through the Psalms. He wasn't saying, I'm trying to be like you. He didn't say, I'll do my best to imitate you. He says, you are my, that is you're my counterpart. We fit together like a hand in glove. You, in your unlimited greatness and glory, actually comes to live within me and express in me and through me your love, your strength, your glory. It's what we were talking about for the last two weeks, and actually it's, it's how I got here um, the the revelation of this love of God, and then Jesus says that the new commandment of the new covenant is that we love one another as he has loved us. And then conspicuous before the world, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. We're the declaration of that love. And then John 17, he says, it's because of the union that believers have the one to the other and in us that the world will know that it's for real. Oh, yes. Do you begin to understand this word before I have said the Lord before me? I, I, I basically spend my life with my mouth open. I, 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 I find it difficult. I stutter, I stumble. I'm amazed at the greatness of God, which never ceases to be revealed in my life. And therefore my life declares it to the world. But then he goes on and he says, I have set, I have set, the Lord continually before me. Now that's an interesting word, aren't they all? 
but but this 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 word set um it's an eye thing um i i'm i'm seeing that revelation of god and therefore i set my compass a sort of i i'm I'm setting my my the pathway of my life as you know true north it's it's my the star by which I guide myself. I, I'm setting my course by this. I'm orienting my life to this. That, that this is my flight plan. This is my purpose and goal in life. This, this is it. My whole life shall be determined and defined by this revelation of God. Now that, that's what he's saying here. So immediately you are coming to that work of the Spirit that we, we've spoken of. It's the Holy Spirit, you see, that opens my eyes to see this God. As I said, my natural brain could never think it. And of course, go back, what is sin? And sin isn't being a naughty boy. Sin isn't just breaking a, a, a list of rules. Sin is far deeper than that. It's a broken relationship. We who were created to be one with, united with this God who's beyond words, we were created for that. That's our norm. That's our blueprint. Sin is a broken relationship. And how was it broken? Because mankind believed the lie that Satan told and and he the lie was he diminished God. That is, he brought the mountain down to a little hill. And and, and the first members of our family believed that. And, and then he lied to them that they were the awesome mountain. He said, "You shall be as God." You will find all power and you'll find all meaning and all purpose within yourself. You shall be as God. And sin is that we're blind to reality. We are blind to the brokenness of our relationship. We're blind to who the true God is. And and so it speaks of mankind as wandering in this darkness uh, of unreality uh, because of the ignorance that is in him and he doesn't know who God is nor does he know the tyrant under whose rulership he lives mankind and the the blindness is more than unfortunate the blindness which would sever us from God from the man's side means then death that there's no life i I, uh, I i'm separated i've self-separated i've self-divorced away from god though god never ceases to love and to see me according to the blueprint but i i'm i'm lost in my darkness and my self-absorption which is dead while we live a- and So, if I'm going to see the true God, if he is going to be before me, and if I'm going to set my life according to that, then there has got to be the opening of inside eyes. 
There's got to be a restoration of true seeing. And in the restoration of seeing, the bringing to set then upon the God I've now discovered, to anchor myself to him. And all that is done in and through Jesus. He took a hold of us and anchored us into the Father. And so we, this becomes the most important thing. Most important thing. What do you see? What do you see? It's been my prayer since I was 17 years old when I first discovered those prayers of the New Testament that they they were given there by the Holy Spirit that we could pray them for ourselves and for each other. And, And they all circle around. They're satellites of one idea. And that is an inside eye be open that the eyes of your understanding and understanding means it's where you put all the pieces together and and flood it with light flood it with truth let me see reality and and so the holy spirit's work is to do that he's our teacher and he doesn't teach us like a lecturer in a classroom but he teaches us by himself revealing who the father is and who the son is and how it all fits together and so we choose now now we now we see who god is or acts 26 remember says that uh, open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to the light may turn from satan to god and receive the inheritance among those that are sanctified. So the opening of the eyes, I realize, I've been living in a lie, I've been living deceit, and I can turn to this God who is so glorious, who is the very definition of awesome, and I choose to look. What was the other scripture? Look to me and live. I, I, I look to him. That, that's God. And, and it leaps within me, the Holy Spirit aliving me, lifing me with the life that is His in me. Um, and I see another Bible word is behold. <laughs> you get it? And, and as we behold, we're transformed and our minds are renewed. We turn to face God. You know, in, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for presence that that is you know my presence in a room that they don't have that the word in the hebrew that we would say the presence of is face that they, they they didn't see just an abstract idea of an personal energy that he's present but rather the face that is i i, I he's looking at me it's not just a, a vague, spooky sense, God is here. No, I get, the, he, he knows me. He knows be my name. His face, his eyes, he's looking at me. He's talking to me, the presence of God. And so, I turn my face to his face. And I dare to believe that he's loving me and talking to me. 
And so the Christian life could well be described as face to face. In fact, that is possibly one way we could talk about righteousness. It's, it's certainly talking about walking in the presence. We talk face to face. We set. And we, we do so by the, the, the Holy Spirit working within us. But we set. We're not robots. You see, the, the Holy Spirit never gate crashes. You know what I mean by that? He never imposes this. God does not just dump this on you and say, Jesus died, Jesus achieved this, now you've got it, understand? No. You wouldn't get a relationship like that, would you? You you don't beat your child saying, you will love me. (laughs) You, You can't force people into relationship and our God has only one determination one desire and that is relationship he doesn't want you just like a bunch of robots all doing what is right he wants you in his arms he wants you to receive his love and he wants you to love because he first loved you do you understand me He doesn't impose, he doesn't force, he doesn't, he's not a a warlord that comes and takes over your city of you. Rather, the Holy Spirit woos you. Long before you knew there was a Holy Spirit, he wooed you. And and he's the one that is the eye-opener to show you the emptiness of the world, and he's drawing you to the relationship that is yours in Christ Jesus with the Father. Ours is a response to that. A response to that. Opening ourselves up as he draws us, we open and set our life to that. We set. Have you noticed in the New Testament... Um, the word is abide, abide in me, said Jesus. And John talks about abiding in God. Uh, have you noticed abide? I mean, it, it essentially means stay a while. It means settle in here, dwell here, live here. So it, it, it is saying that after all, it is God himself that has brought you here. It is the love of God that has produced you in this moment, in his embrace, in his fellowship. Now, stay. And, and, and the staying is in terms of trust, which is maybe a better word than what we have in the New Testament translated believe. Trust. Now, here this trust is not one act. You, you can't say, well, 40 years ago I, I went forward and prayed a sinner's prayer and oh, they got it settled. Yes, and... The, see, I say again, trust is not one act. You Trust is a multi-series of, of acts. You get myriad acts. You, you, you grow in trust a thousand times in a day as in continual minute choices. You are choosing to commit yourself, rest in, trust. 
this other person. That's what's happening in, in your marriage. You, you, you can't walk away from the marriage ceremony and say, well, that's it, that's done. Yes, it is, and no, it's not. Because now you're going to spend the rest of your life in, I say, a myriad choices of trust, whereby everything you said there in the marriage service is now going to be established in life. Trust. Trust is that you are continually, in a, I, I, I keep saying it, you know, thousands of little ways, you are becoming more and more vulnerable to love. You're becoming vulnerable to God's goodness and gentleness and kindness. Because when it all begins, you could hardly believe that. From some of your emails that you've written to me, some of you have only come to realize that in the last few weeks. And you're now taking baby steps of learning how to be vulnerable to love. Let, letting God love you, daring to believe he does. And daring to believe he's being good when you can't see the evidence. But you're vulnerable. You're going to abandon yourself into the arms of this one. That's setting. I, I, I set myself. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to be vulnerable to this God who is love. I'm going to rest myself into this revelation that God has given me of himself. And in so doing, I'm going to receive, I'm going to take of that. And of course, that's not a formula. He, he says here, I've set the Lord. It's not a formula. I haven't, I haven't set a formula. You, you know what I mean? When I, when I first uh, discovered the love of God in Christ, or it wasn't much, I tell you, I just saw enough to call on the name of the Lord when I was a, still a child. I mean, I, I was 11 and 12 when it first began to dawn on me. And, huh. and when I went, went to the church, I was in Sunday school, and I, I said that I had you know, made this decision. And, and they told me, and I mean, looking back on it, I shudder. They, they said, okay, you, you, you've now become a Christian, so read your Bible every day for 15 minutes and then pray every day and then go to church every time the doors are open and witness to 10 people every week. They told me that. And they said that would make me a successful Christian. What? <laughs> that, that's utterly ridiculous. Christian is not a formula. It's not something you do by your watch. <sighs> I've said the Lord, this infinitely personal, three-person God. <sighs> he is, I, I say, limitlessly person and he comes to me the person of the father who became the person of Jesus in our humanity and is now coming to us and at home within us as the person of the Holy Spirit he's not a formula 
What's the first thing you teach a new believer is, is the Holy Spirit, is your life within you, the Holy Spirit. And I teach a new convert how to hear the voice of the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. And the Spirit will lead you to the Scripture. Of course He will. He wrote it. Uh, but not at a time, 15 minutes a day. Don't, no, no, the, the Holy Spirit will inspire prayer because he will tell you you're a child of God and, and out of you will come Abba, Father, because the Holy Spirit's whispering it in your spirit. Yeah, and when, when this wells up within you, of course, you'll talk to others about it, but it won't be a formula. It will be a relationship of trust that is now beginning to happen and be discovered. I've set the Lord before me. Ah, but just a minute. If I set the Lord before me, there's other things that I won't set before me. Ah, now this is the rub. You see, left to ourselves, outside of Christ, if that be possible, um, we we set, and this might even explain what it all means, we, we set our situations the circumstances of our present life, we set them before us. We set before us the persons that are presently offending us, hurting us, a nuisance to us, and all the rest of it. Um, and, and along with, with all of that, we, we set our understanding of what's happening. Um, you, you follow me? We've said it before us, and so it, it is like Mount McKinley. It's there. It, it, it's like Mount Kenya. I, I, I can't miss it. It's in front of me. It's all I think about. I get up in the morning and it's, it's what's happening to me. It's what she said and what he said and what they're going to do and what they... <sighs> and of course, other times, we, we and sometimes it's all times, that we, we drag things from the past. It could have happened 32 years ago and we still remember what he said and what she said and they haven't apologized yet and and you, you live with it you dream it you there's a first waking thought it's another day with that person in front of me have you noticed how that there's an eclipse of the glory of God because you blotted it all out with all this other stuff that's happening to you. And out of all that flesh before me comes all our fears. All your anxiety is birthed right there. All of your depression all of your darkness of mind, it all starts there. The anger, the bitterness and slander and gossip and everything, it all starts because you've set something or some persons before you that's blotted out the glory of God in your life. So then what, what, what do we do with our circumstances? Because they're pretty pressing, you know. What, what, what do you do with these people that you can still hear what they said? Good question. If I've set the Lord before me, then the number one thing that I know, and this is part of vulnerability, I, I'm, I'm, dare, I, I'm risking it. I'm going to open up to the reality that in this circumstance, right now in this happening, with this person saying what they're saying, 
And right back there with whatever happened back there, Father, you fill my life, and therefore I state it with absolute clarity that you are love, you are goodness and kindness right at this minute, and you are that in the middle of this situation. You, you were, I just didn't recognize it, and I haven't recognized it for 30 years, but you are love there, and you're love here, and you're not just love looking on with a sad look, you are love in action, to do and to be love. And number two then, arising out of that, is what's up? I mean, what, what are you doing here? You who love me beyond words, what are you up to here? Because whatever you're up to must be good, because you're love. What are you doing, Father? What, what, what are you doing, Jesus? Because you are one with me. You're right here. This whole situation is taking place in you. What are you doing, Holy Spirit? You who are love in dynamic action, what are you doing here? See, if you have set your circumstances before you, then your question will be, and I, you, you've got to learn how to say it properly with that nasal whine. You're going to say, what are you, why? Why does this have to happen to me? If you're a God of love, why do you let this happen to me? No, if you've said the Lord before you, you never ask why. Never, never, never ask why, because there's no answer to that. Your little pea brain could never take it in anyway. My only question of trust can be you're here. You feel this. I'm inside of you right now in the midst of this situation. So, what, what do I need to know of what you're doing here? What revelation of your person shall be given to me in this situation that you could not give to me at any other time or place? But now I'm in this situation. Now you can show me yourself. You, okay. Uh, a person, uh, just a passing conversation, a person said, you know, how, how they would long to really know the peace of God that passes all human understanding. I said, well, you see, the only way you can really know that is to be in a situation where, normally speaking, you would be stressed and anxious and feeling crushed. But the peace that passes human comprehension causes you to rise above it. So you just don't get this peace that passes human understanding. You, in a certain situation that's custom-made, you receive a peace and you rise above it. And we don't like the situation. We'd rather live without the peace, you see. Um, I mean, another passing conversation, a person says, what must it be like for Lazarus to be raised from the dead after three days? I said, well, you know, you could possibly know, but you'd have to be dead for three days first. Because 
Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead could only happen after, you see what I mean. Well, well uh, the, the situation I'm in, I don't focus on its crushing powers. I don't focus on the confusion. I look through it to him. And I say, what are you being to me right now? What is it I'm discovering of you in this situation that I just plain could not discover anywhere else? What new pathway are you opening up before me? You see, when I realize that, then indeed I've set him before me and all of life, all of life, every relationship, every happening, every circumstance is related to him and what he is doing because I recognize he is not up there. He's only up there in my estimation because part of his up there is that he's the kind of God who's down here at the same time, right in the middle of me in this situation. So, we, we don't focus on the negative of the circumstance. We don't focus on the feelings that are gnawing in our basement for, for recognition. We focus on the God who is always positive, who always overcomes and... Okay, let the Holy Spirit connect us at that point. Let, let me see the finished work of Jesus more plainly in this situation. I've set the Lord before me. Well, the Lord, because it's always this counterpart idea, then he becomes my guide through this valley of the shadow of death. He becomes my instruction. He becomes my truth. He carries me through, and I can be confident he, he will. In fact, he says, I have continuously set the Lord before me, continuously, which means what it says, always, continuously. That means all situations, whatever is pounding against my life. But this word has in it the strong meaning, not just simply of always, but on a regular, uninterrupted basis. It was used in the uh, temple, in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, so that always, using this word, there was the offering uh, in the morning and the offering at night. A and that, that meant it was a regular basis. They, they, they didn't just make the offering any old time whenever they felt like it. It was regular, regular. It's as if David is saying, I continually reset my mind. I, I continually focus in praise and worship upon this God who is who he is. It's what Colossians 3.1 says, that if you be risen with Christ, then uh, seek those, set your mind on things which are above the where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's the renewal of the mind. The result of that, he says, I shall, I will not be shaken. And that word shaken in the Hebrew, I'm sorry I keep doing this, but to me it's important we just know how these people were thinking. The, the translation is perfectly okay. 
I just want to dig just a bit deeper. What did they mean when they said shaken? Well, they meant what it sounds like. They they meant a fence that's about to fall over. It meant a tree that's about to be uprooted. It meant anything that can be shaken is shaken by, by winds, hurricane force winds or torrents of rain and tornado. It's That's the idea and everything that is shaken. And that in Hebrew meant anxiety. David is saying here that because I've set the Lord continuously before me, I will not know anxiety. I will not know worry. I will live above it and beyond it. Psalm 46, which is that psalm that describes the collapse of creation, you know. The mountains are sliding into the sea. And then he says, but God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Same word, not be shaken. And then he goes on and says, therefore, my heart is glad. So he lived in joy. Well, my time is done. And I trust that you found some nugget of truth here that will enable your life in the days to come. And now, I bless you. I bless you in the name of the God who is all-powerful love, who is gentle, who is kind, who is good, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I bless you with this peace that blots out anxiety and depression and fears and grants you the joy of living face to face with him who loves you. So I bless you this night and declare that is the way it is.